Welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster, my colleague. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Mike Madrid, a political strategist, extraordinaire, advisor to local governments, co-founder of the Lincoln Project, expert on Latino politics, many more hats, uh, but I won't go into all of them now. Mike, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always great to be with you. So here's the burning question. We saw the recall uh, up in Shasta County member of the Board of Supervisors was kicked off, a guy named Leonard Modi. Uh, there has been a successful recall election in San Francisco school board members, and we're doing a story on it right now about this issue. The question is, are these harbingers of things to come in terms of recall elections across California and counties across California? Is this something we're going to be looking forward to now? Is this a way of dumping legislator or local officials midterm? Yeah, there's a couple of things that are going on. The short answer is, is yes, you're going to see more recall efforts taking place at the local government level. Fully one third of all of the school board recalls that are happening in the country right now are happening in California. And what happened in, in Shasta County was by design, they were literally the, the militia members were literally calling the program a red, white and blueprint. And that blueprint being how you can do this in your own local public agency to have uh, and not traditional anti-government, you know, re- Republicans, but but militia-style, you know, white supremacist, white nationalist efforts designed to literally shut down and neutralize um, local public agencies, local governments, as a way to start spreading the disruption, uh, social disruption that comes with that activity, and and it is happening already all over the place. But be mindful that the recall is just one tool. There, are, there's. The, the intent and design is to cause disruption. You are seeing that with very aggressive posturing uh, towards local elected officials. You saw it during the height of the COVID pandemic with anti-vaccine efforts, um, driving public health officials um, from, from their jobs, um, intimidating them out of their jobs and their work. You're seeing a whole plethora of, of very aggressive bordering on violent, absolutely violent language at school board meetings, city council meetings, and county board of supervisor meetings. The intent here, this rise of extremism, which is happening on both sides, by the way, left and right, but most pronounced on the right and most most um, most aggressively on the right, is, um, is designed, again, to, to disrupt government. So yes, you will see more recalls, but you are going to see a much, much more rapid and dangerous rise in intimidation techniques and violence. And I do believe, and I have been telling lawmakers this at the state and local level, I think in the next 18 months, you're going to see some very violent activity where people will be harmed. One of the issues that came up in Shasta County was um, there was quite a bit of, of outside money that came in to support the recall effort. There was a $50,000 initial contribution, and then there was $400,000 later on, a week or two before the election day. But it was outside money. It came from, I believe, New York, from someone there who had a problem with Shasta government when he wanted to open a business in Shasta County. And there was mm-hmm. some history there. But I guess my, my, my question is about the outside money. Is this, thing, is this something you have to contend with now? We see them as local, but if they're funded from outside, then we have a whole new different algorithm here, you know? 
Well, I mean, yeah, look, the, the instance of that, that, that business owner was, was uh, some trouble that he had with a vineyard that he wanted to establish. And that, that's a traditional local government fight. I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. That money was reported. He wanted a vineyard a few years ago. The county denied it. He was exacting his revenge. He's resourced enough to spend $500,000 on a project that's no longer a project anymore. That, that's fine. That, that, that's the way the rules work. And as long as everybody is acting above board, that's fine. What we know from just an elementary level of looking at what was happening up there is there were clearly tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars moving into the political space with no reporting. And that's the danger is when you have a criminal element or a foreign element, which I believe is part of what is going on here, that is not going to you know, worry about an FEC violation or cares what the state of California says you know, when, they, when they come back you know, two and a half years later and slap a $500 fine on you. These people could care less. It's far better to just not follow the rules at all and not to try to and, 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 and move the agenda forward. Remember, the, when the agenda is to undermine, literally undermine the government, and it's really important your listeners understand this. They're not trying to, 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 to get ideological classical Republicans who are concerned about government intervention. They are trying to undermine the government. This is, this is you know, it's, 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 it's very, very dangerous behavior. And when you have somebody who's trying to delegitimize the actual government, they're not going to follow the rules. They're not worried about reporting to the appropriate authorities. They're going to do whatever they can, whatever means they've got to accomplish the ends. And they don't even have to win a recall to simply um, instill a corrosive effect in the minds of the people who live in that community about the government and its leaders. And what happened to Leonard Modi, uh, that's the name of the gentleman, uh, the Republican, by the way, retired police chief for 30 years in Reading, um, was an atrocity. It's not that he was recalled. It's how he was personally threatened. It's how his family was threatened. It's how his name and reputation and business will, you know, were, were run and dragged through the mud with false accusations. I, I know what that's like. They did it to me. Right? These things, this, is, this is a new tactic that is being used in order to intimidate people out of the public space. That's the whole goal. What, what is their attraction? Uh, in this case, in Shaskam's militia and others that supported them, what's, what's their attraction to what I would describe as mainstream Republicans, uh, small government, defense of the military, prudent spending, that kind of, I mean, these are classic, basic tenets of Republicanism, as I understand it. So what is the attraction of these guys, these people, to, to the Republicans? Why are Republicans going to them rather than to their own mainstream party, so to speak? Well, the mainstream party, the Republican Party is gone. It's been gone for years. That's the alarm bell that I've been ringing for some time. I think people are just kind of coming to terms and realizing maybe, maybe you know, California, maybe Mike, Mike was right. Right. You're seeing more and more Republicans, those traditional Republicans leaving every day. Janice Rutherford, one of the one of the you know, highest elected Republicans in San Bernardino County, a longtime Republican, just left the party last week. I mean, the, the, the erosion is continuing as people realize, oh, wait a second, this these are not one offs. It's easy to say that what happened in Shasta County is this far northern thing that doesn't affect us, and it's just some militia members. That's not what happened. They're working in conjunction with the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys uh, are, are a, a white nationalist organization who have very strong anti-government ideas because they are much, much more concerned with an authoritarian bent on the way that society should be run. They're not looking to be engaged in the battle of ideas. And so what do I mean by it being everywhere? 
Well, there's a Proud Boys candidate running in the Sacramento area now looking in the primary to run against Ken Cooley for the state assembly. We have found out that Sue Frost, a Sacramento County Board of Supervisors member, uh, was helping uh, work with with, uh, white nationalists and the Proud Boys to coordinate activity on Telegram, which is a a vehicle that the the Proud Boys use, a platform to communicate about organizing protests and convoy protests to shut down the government. We uh, just two weeks ago, the Proud Boys were called out by the police for disrupting a a meeting of the Orange County Republican Party. Um, The the, the, over the course of the past, you know, during the Trump era, there are are numerous candidates that the California State Republican Party had to denounce because of anti-Semitic, anti-Muslim, anti-Latino, essentially white supremacist comments um, there are people involved in white nationalist movements on on Republican central committees all over the state, uh, avowed white you know nationalist m- movements or in their pasts, and that's you know including groups like the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, the Proud Boys, Boogaloo yeah. Boys. All of these are a loosely affiliated uh, organizations that are anti-government. They're anti-democracy. And the common thread is 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 this, is this reverence for white supremacy or white nationalism, and it is happening in virtually every part of the state. Um, and I think that that's what the Shasta County story really opened people's eyes to, is it's not just a peculiarity of something happening in Michigan or Alabama, okay. right? Th- this is now happening everywhere, and as you start to look uh, at, at local and regional news, you start to see more and more of these things happening. It more and more city councils and more and more county boards of supervisors and school boards and even now running for the state assembly. And it's um, as I wrote uh, in the, in the um, SAC B op-ed on this Sunday, the era of extremism is not coming. The era has arrived. It is already here. We are waist deep in it and we need to start treating it as such or it will be too late to recover from it. You know, you've been, uh, talking about this being a larger picture. Well, and we're seeing this even, you know, getting far away from California, but we're seeing this with the trucker convoy in Canada. Canada doesn't really have a deep history of this sort of a protest movement. And then when you look at the funding, it really was, the funding was coming from the United States and from international sources. You know, can you talk about that and sort of the bigger picture? I mean, really big picture that this is really more of a global movement than even a, a California movement. Yeah, the first thing to, to remember is that, it, you know, at first blush, a lot of these movements do not enjoy popular support. What is happening in Canada is supported by like 15, 16, 17 percent of the Canadian people. It's not supported by by truckers, uh, who, 90 percent of whom are vaccinated in Canada. And so you, you have to start digging a little bit deeper to understand that these are not organic movements. These are very sophisticated, well-funded transnational political uh, efforts uh, designed, again, to erode confidence in democratically elected governments. And that may sound conspiracy theory based or far you know, flung, but think about it. If, if you're Russia and you're, and you're dealing with a, a massive multi, multi-million dollar uh, you know, conflict in Ukraine on your borders, and you're going to potentially lose and or kill hundreds of thousands of soldiers, literally, in Europe, or spend a couple of billion dollars that you've given to your oligarch friends to fund these efforts, these misinformation efforts, and create political instability 
in allied nations trying to prevent your aggressive behavior, well, of course you would do that. Why would you not do that? It's, it's too easy on social media platforms and to organize these things, especially when there are people like apparently, you know, County Supervisor Sue Frost, who, who have basically been, been you know, drinking at, at this right wing media um, ecosystem and, and believe she believes she's a freedom fighter. And so is now working with with white nationalist groups to undermine um, local governments. I mean, it, 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 it sounds, you know, beyond the pale, but that's why it's very important for people to understand it's not coming. It's already here. There, there's such a difference uh, on the recall issue. There's such a difference between between counties in California. We got 58 of them and they're, um, you know, Shasta County is got 180,000 people in it, I think. Redding is about half that population of the entire county. But you got Shasta, Siskiyou, Modoc, Del Norte, way up there. Mm-hmm. But you've also mentioned that there are, you know, Orange County, San Diego County, these highly populated counties also have a similar problem. So it doesn't necessarily seem to be a function of rural versus urban. There's something else going on here, right? That's exactly right. And like I said, I'm also not making the case that it's it's exclusively a right wing or Republican thing. It's particularly pronounced. You, you know, the Republican Party hasn't denounced this this candidate who's filed to run for the assembly. A, a proud boy member who was kicked out of the Republican Central Committee in Sacramento County is filed to run the state GOP, the state Republican Party hasn't denounced that person. And with increasing frequency, you're going to see a, a greater embrace by the Republican Party because this is a growing part of the base. It's no longer a fringe part of it that you just see, you know, in the dark hallways at conventions. You know, again, after after Steve Bannon was brought to be the keynote speaker and avowed white nationalist who, whose goal is to topple the government in 2017, you saw an explosion of these types of candidates in Republican primaries, including a U.S. Senate candidate, a proud boy uh, anti-Semite, avowedly openly anti-Semitic candidate in the U.S. Senate race, uh, numbers of them and, and running for Congress. And, 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 and they're, 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 again, it's, it's, it's completely from top to bottom now within the party. The party can no longer, those, those rational, quote unquote, rational voices that should have stood up years ago um, have allowed this and accommodated it for so long that it has basically eaten them. But but you are correct. It is not just a rural versus urban divide anymore. And and even conventional wisdom would suggest, well, California is kind of more moderate. Why, you know, how aren't even Republicans a little bit more moderate in California? Yeah. The truth right. of the matter is, no, they're not. The, 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 the average Republican voter in California is no different than the average Republican voter in West Virginia or Arkansas or, or Mississippi. Uh, demographically, it's overwhelmingly white, 80 percent plus. Remember, 80 percent of the California Republican Party voter base is white in a state that is 37 percent white. OK, it's largely non-college educated. Uh, the districts that Republicans represent have a lower than the state medium income and a far lower rate of college degreed voters. So, so, so the voters in California that look like the voters in other states that we would you know, view the South and the Rust Belt like are virtually identical. And, and so the fact that they are here and that they're advocating those positions um, shouldn't be a surprise. It should actually be something that we recognize now and work to limit 
But again, where, Mike, uh, where does that leave the state party then? What uh, was that? Where does that leave the state, uh, the GOP? The state it, leaves it, exactly, it, it, it leaves it exactly where it wants to be. I mean, we, we need to stop asking the questions of whether it's trying to be relevant. It, it hasn't tried to be relevant for years. Uh-huh. The idea that it's going to come back is is presumes that they want to be a governing partner. They don't. There's no underlying ideology. Everything that you hear coming out of it is about how bad things are. And that's the frustrating point for people like me who have been making this 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 you know point for many, many years now uh-huh. is people would rather live with bad homelessness, with needles on the street, with with housing inaffordability, with the worst poverty problem in America, with the worst income inequality, income inequality divide, with with spiking crime than actually view Republicans as a viable alternative. That's how bad it is. Like people, people are not stupid. They understand that the Republican Party is a party of extremists that are looking to undermine and overthrow everything from elections to existing um, legitimately uh, elected government bodies. And where they can't, they will use intimidation techniques to shout people down. Um, we I'm having a con- conversation with the Central Committee in California right now where they're so afraid they're trying to find a handful of moderate people to, to fill some appointments because if not, they know that the only people that are going to fill those roles in their own committees are going to people ha- be with people who have uh, sympathies towards the Proud Boy organization. So, so this sure. is growing. Do you, and I'm sorry I'm going on a little bit here. I do want to draw out one other point. This is extremely important. It is not solely a function of the right. The left is getting extreme as well. There, there's no comparison. The right is, is already gone. The left is battling it right now the way Republicans were before. But when you have had advocates going to Daryl Steinberg's home or, or waking up blocks of people on Los Angeles City Council neighborhoods uh, over homeless issues or, or, or any other issue, the, the next step of, in, this, in this process of that type of aggressive, um, more intimate protest is violence. And it, it is coming, unfortunately. So what do you make of someone like Harmeet Dillon? who is not at all what you described. She's very well-educated. She is a very thoughtful person. She doesn't look like the people you're describing that are 80% white, yet she's flying the flag for the Republican Party. She is out, in, at least in California, she's out in front as sort of a thought leader for the, for the conservatives. What, how do those people square that circle? I'm not going to speak to any individual specifically. I think that those people speak for themselves and people are going to have to kind of make their own judgments. You know, um, I was thinking about the splintering of the Republicans. You know, I first really got interested in politics. I found the same thing on the Democratic side. Mm -hmm. It was the Students for Democratic Society. There was peace and freedom. There were all the college, of which I was one. There were college students out there that were complaining. The Democrats had a problem trying to get everybody they tried what they could they had they wanted to get everybody into a lar- under a large tent the republicans could go after them on issues of crime stability uh you know basically having so many people among democrats who didn't like the society wanted to overthrow the actually many of them at least on the progressive side wanted to they publicly espouse overthrowing the government these are college kids and revolutionary college kids are kind of a joke. And I realized that many years later, as I become older and more erudite, I think. Um, but problem is the parties splinter up. And at the end of the day, does this, is this what's happening to the Republicans on the right? And can they get a big tent and get back together? Or are we, is that a thing of the past now? 
Well, you're asking two, two different questions. I'm going to answer them both because they're really interesting. Uh, the first point I want to make, and I think you set this question up really, really well, because it does give, I think, people an understanding of what is happening in the political system today, and that is this. Just as you mentioned that the 60s and 70s, the left, the American left, was defined by its counterculture movement, the American right has become a counterculture movement. That, that, that's one of the most fascinating things that you know, old, older folks like you and I, John, can kind of look back and go, oh, wait, that, that makes perfect sense. Wait, not if, older. I like to think distinguished. More okay, distinguished and erudite. Yeah, I think <laughs> as you said. So you're certainly more distinguished. I think I'm just old. But having said that, I, what is important to understand is the American right is now simply a counterculture movement. It is against the, anything conventionally subscribed to in society. It does not like the way society is progressing. It does not like things like marriage equality. It does not like things like a woman's rights to choose. It doesn't like things like social uh, justice or social equity. Um, it doesn't like the changing demographics threatening a structure that they view as the American system uh, that society was built on. And as those ideas, as the, the counterculture movement of the left has now kind of dominated academia, media, government, um, they are now fighting, they being the Republicans, the American right is now fighting to tear down those institutions. And, and, and that makes it countercultural. It, it is literally against the dominant culture in the country. And so that comparison is, I think, is, is very important to look at and understand. Now to your second point, which is what does, does what happens to the American right, the Republican Party, um, you know, ultimately kind of get its senses and start to center up the way that the Democratic Party did afterwards. Uh, I, I don't believe that it will. Uh, the reason why is because most of what is driving um, the Republican, quote unquote, coalition, and, it, and it's a very monolithic coalition, by the way, um, is a demographic change. It, it is an overwhelmingly white identity politics movement. Are there exceptions to that? Of course, there are tons of people. I've watched, I've witnessed this throughout my entire career, been accused of it myself, of 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 professionalizing the the non-white aspects of who you are to leverage your title, your reputation, your money, your influence within the party. Um, but it's also accurate to say that, that there are people who genuinely believe that. I don't, I don't want to say that that there aren't people of color who don't believe in conservative principles because there clearly are, and I am one of them. But there are also profiteers who are used as political tools to justify that type of behavior. And when you start to see a consolidation under a banner of one party that is so overwhelmingly white and, and increasingly non-college educated, that coalition is not a big one. It is a shrinking demographic that is rallying people of that persuasion of that demographic under its banner. And it's not trying. It's literally, it's literally running against the change of anybody not in that constituency to consolidate and overperform with those numbers to win elections where it can and where it can't, it's doing its level best to stack the playing field or change the rules and even where it fails at that, they're doing what Donald Trump did, which is try to undermine the election itself, lie about it, and try to try to break the law to get back into power. And that that that's the danger. It's not the Republican Party is not acting like a, a political party anymore. It's not its objective is not to win 
with a battle of ideas by persuading other people. It's trying to win by delegitimizing the government itself. And, and that is, that is, that is a, that is a um, development that nobody in living history in this country has ever experienced domestically. Now that's a dire vision of what's going on uh, to flip that around. What, what can be done to combat that? What do you think is the most effective way to stop this extremism or, or turn it back? Well, that's a great question. And it's what I'm going to be spending a lot of my life's time on for the next time. You know, I'm, I'm spending a lot less time in California politics. As you, as you both know, I'm, I'm working a lot more on national efforts because for better, for worse, the first part of my career was watching California go through this, this technological, social, and demographic transformation. And now it's happening nationally. So there's a lot to learn about what is happening in the country that we have already learned in California. Some of it can be used to great effect and say, this is exactly what's happening. Some things, especially with Latino voters, it's, it's the exact opposite is happening. But there's a lot, again, as California that we have learned that can be used to kind of help us through this demographic transition. But foundationally, I'm very much of the opinion that the next two decades in our national political life is going to be characterized by a lot of disruption, a lot of violence, and the inability to find compromise and a unifying effort, even if it's things like war, as we're starting to see in Ukraine or pandemic, uh, which is basic science. Um, and, and most of that is, is demographic. You'll notice, for example, after about 2013 or 2014, you don't have Republican legislators in California introducing anti-immigrant legislation anymore. For, for those of us that have been around a while, that was every year. <laughs> John, you probably wrote a million articles on the bills that were being introduced by Republicans uh, to, to, to uh, being, being anti-illegal uh, immigrant or, or pushing the federal government to do more on legal immigration. It was just, a, it, was a, it was a circus. It, it was, it, you expected it. You expected 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 bills to be introduced. And you haven't seen a Republican introduce that kind of legislation since, since about 2013, seven or eight years. But if you look at 1994 to 2013, that is exactly a 20 years, 19 year demographic transformation that saw California be a white, overwhelming majority state, transferring, transforming rather into a non-white plurality. And that's what I expect is going to happen uh, to the country. If, if the parties, if the party splits, let's say, and there's a, I know we used to have the California Republican Assembly, mm -hmm. but, but if, the, if a splinter group goes away from the mainstream Republican Party to whatever extent it exists, but they leave, doesn't that weaken republicanism as a whole, I mean, political republicanism as a whole, and leave, at least in California, leave the Democrats even more in control than they are now? Again, you're presuming that the Republican Party is, is undergoing ideological disagreements. Uh, it's it's not. <laughs> it, it literally is not. I mean, you, we've got to get out of this this mindset that the Republican Party is in any way a party of ideas. It, it's not. You never heard Donald Trump, for example, give a speech on the virtues of smaller government, which was which was orthodox for every Republican in the post World War II era. And the reason why is because Donald Trump didn't give a damn about smaller government. He was a statist. He would grow government as much as he needed to to protect his base. That's that's nationalism. It's not conservatism. And that type of thinking has consumed the party in its entirety, in its entirety. Now, is there a sliver of Republicans, especially the college educated, 
that see what's going on and are very uncomfortable with what is happening in the country and can be in certain instances persuaded to vote for the Democrats? The answer to that is absolutely yes. That was the whole premise of the Lincoln Project, and it's why the Lincoln Project was successful, is my job was to go out and find all of those college-educated Republicans in about a dozen states, target about 1.2 million voters, and move them in the suburbs of Atlanta, in Maricopa County, in DeKalb County, in Gwinnett County, in Erie County, Pennsylvania, um, in, 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 uh, outside of uh, you know, in Madison, Wisconsin. That was that was my job is to do all of the targeting. And we, it was successful. What you see is Republicans shifted and moved away from the party because they did not like the extremism that has consumed a wide swath of the party. Let me let me bring it down to California more specifically, because I think your, your folks are much more interested in just California. If you look at Orange County in 2016, Something happened that was very unique that year. Donald Trump runs. He does historically poorly statewide. He does very poorly in Orange County. But something happened in voting behavior that we had never seen before. And we don't have a, we, we still don't have a name for it. What happened was more Republicans were showing up and voting for Republican candidates down ticket for Congress and Assembly and State Senate than they were voting for the presidency. They were leaving the, the office blank up top, and he got you know, what we would call undervotes normally. Usually people vote at the top of the ticket and don't vote down ticket. This happened in reverse, which means they didn't like Donald Trump. In 2018, those same voters voted for the Democrats, and the Democrats had a massive blue wave and picked up a ton of seats. And then what happens in 2020 is those go back. What happens is that the Republicans don't vote for Donald Trump, but vote for the Republicans down ticket again, and the Republicans, lo and behold, pick up more seats. What is all that's telling us? It tells us that there is a group of well-educated or higher-educated, higher-income earners that are culturally not comfortable with the extremes of either party and are rejecting them. Those seats where Republicans do the worst are where they're the highest levels of college graduates. And Orange County is ground zero for those types of voters. These are people that like the tax cuts. They like the economic policies of Reagan-style conservatism, but they are not comfortable with supporting people who like Confederate flags and want to build a wall and don't like gay people. That's what is happening in the modern Republican Party. But it is not like a 50-50 battle here. It is a, the, the Lincoln Project style Republicans, uh, there, there may be 10, 15 percent of the base. They're enough to prevent the Republicans from ever coming to power, but they are not enough to create a third party movement. When you look at the um, 2022 elections, this year's elections, one of the concerns, obviously one of the concerns well reported among Democrats is that they may lose the House. Lose the house. Do you get any sense of that? I know you're looking at national politics now. Do you, where's the House going to go in 2022? Well, I'm a big believer in data and trends, um, but I'm not I'm not um, solely focused on data and trends. I think we, as an industry and as a business, we have become way too over over um, reliant on 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 data. It, it, uh-huh. it, we have too much data, right? A good consultant knows how much data you need and how much is too much. And we are way into too much. It's kind of like baseball. When you start worrying about, you know, uh, rotation speed on the baseball on your on your left-handed curveball versus you know a right-handed <laughs> curveball. Yeah. You, you're missing you're missing everything. You're, you're so in the weeds that there's a lot. Uh, of let me interject. I totally agree, 
and I like seat of the pants analysis without a scintilla of evidence. I like to I like to look at that at all, but sometimes you know the data gives me some evidence, but yeah, like a battle and, just and, for the hell of it, you know. And, and look, that's what I do with campaigns. Is 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 I think I understand that balance very well. Politics is not just a science it's an art i and i i believe that politics will always be more art than science if it was more science than art we wouldn't need elections right and and and, and so that's where that's campaigns do matter and and data is good to a point but it shouldn't be again we're just we're way over reliant on it and that's why why i think there's so much shock and surprise when things don't turn out the way people many, many months out are looking at data and saying, this is what's going to happen. And, and, you know, Nate Silver has been wrong at this point more than he's been right. And it tells you there's a real keen misunderstanding of how data can actually be used in the art of a campaign. So with that, let me say this. Most of the history would suggest that the Republicans um, are, are poised to pick up seats in both the House and the Senate because that's the traditional pattern of the off-cycle, off-term election, especially in the first year. If you look at Joe Biden's numbers and the generic ballot, I don't think the generic ballot's a great indicator anymore, but I do believe that Joe Biden's support levels are. He's not doing well, uh, again, which is not a surprise. It's a very, very traditional trajectory over the past 30 years. And my sense is that, again, a lot of things are going to happen. Will we be at war next week? What's going to happen with inflation? Will there be another spike in COVID? All of these things are we don't know about. But the only thing I am convinced of is that what we are talking about and what voters are focused on in the midterm elections is not what we're talking about in February. That's not going to be the case. The fundamentals do not look good for the Democrats. And I, I, I would project today, if I had to, that Republicans will do not just well, but quite well in the midterms. But there's a massive, massive caveat to that, and that is Anybody making projections about November's elections in February doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so, so again, uh, you know, the fundamentals don't look good for the Democrats uh, nationally. Um, I do think redistricting, I guess, benefited to to the the Democrats uh, in a way that we were expecting a massive redraw because of Republican legislators. I'm also of the opinion that that redistricting it's not that big of a deal. It, it's just not. It, it, I mean, of course, it matters. But to, to, to the, the overemphasis on people who watch this stuff so closely, you're, you're too damn close to the game to see what is actually being played. And that's, I think, one of the biggest problems in political consulting today is people don't understand what data is actually useful in political campaigns. And there's so much of it that people just kind of throw up their hands and are like overwhelmed and everybody and their brother is coming out with a new graph and, and doing regression analysis on which voters pulled out this way or that way. And it's like, you know, I, if we had followed that metric, we would not have been successful in beating an incumbent like Donald Trump in the 2020 election cycle yeah. is I knew enough. What I needed to know you balance it out with the art form. And again, I believe politics is far more art than science. Um, although, you know, I'm, I'm a data guy. Nationally, that's, that's what I do, but probably because I know what the limits of data are as opposed to, to overemphasizing um, how much we actually get out of it. Mike Madrid, thank you very much. Now we're going to segue into the who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. And I guess there's several choices again. We always have a, we always have a large you know, large universe universe here to choose from, but it looked like the San Francisco 
uh, school board members, three of them got recalled. That was a bad week for everybody over there in San Francisco, for the school district, and of course, for the members. So, Tim, what do you think? Uh, I think that those are the really the, the obvious ones. That's uh, President Gabriela Lopez. Uh, and then I'm sorry, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Falga Maliga and Allison Collins were all recalled. And the margins were ridiculous. I mean, things I've never seen. I think it was 70, 75 percent voted to recall, which is something I've I've never seen. Uh, I, I think the, the quote I saw on Twitter was uh, the recall was more popular than it's it's in, in San Francisco. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think that they uh, they had a pretty bad week. We're recording this on Thursday. Somebody may have a really crappy Friday, I suppose. But uh, I, I think they are going to be the ones to watch. Yeah, look, I would agree. I think that there's no question when you lose 70, 30 like that, uh, on a recall on any issue, there's obviously a lot of things that have went wrong. I think that it has been fascinating to watch, especially folks on the East Coast inside the Beltway saying, you know, this is a sign about, you know, Democrats not getting it together and and following, you know, too far to the left. Um, I tend to kind of like the opinion of most of the California reporters who actually know the state better by saying, yeah, I mean, I, I, clearly there was some sort of, you know, debate or discussion about you know where they were going with some really uh, obscure uh, abstract issues, especially the naming of schools and mask mandates and such. But the truth of the matter is, these were just elected officials that were not listening to the constituents. They were doing, they weren't doing the basics of 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 being an elected representative. That's how you lose seventy thirty. By the way, it's not an ideological battle that that certainly played a part in it. But this is just simply being uh, clearly unfit to, to do the job and being a representative. So bad week for San Francisco uh, recalled members of the board. Yep, you know, I agree. I think that uh, renaming 42 schools uh, in the name <laughs> of political correctness, it doesn't work. You know, well, yeah, taking down Diane Feinstein's name off Lincoln. of a school. I mean, come on, Diane Feinstein, you're taking her name off of a school. She's. First woman elected in San Francisco. I mean, it's, at a certain point, you start eating yourself, but it's just it's just tone, being tone deaf more than anything else. You know, and I have to say, uh, if if they had survived this recall, uh, then I was all prepared to pick the anonymous administrator of the Dear California Staffers account on Instagram, which, you know, we did our podcast on last week. And then we posted our podcast and hours later, the account disappears and it's just pulled. Uh, and so I thought, I don't know what happened, but it probably wasn't good. They went for, in a week. They gathered 3,400 followers wow. and uh, generated all this uh, noise, you know, basically disrupted uh, any work getting done at the Capitol and then suddenly just pulled the plug. So something happened. I'm guessing that whoever that person or those people are, they didn't have a good week, but their week was nothing compared to the uh, the San Francisco school board members. Yeah. I, got it. I, I think you're looking for people every day, though, right, Tim? You're like, oh, yeah, a no, bad day. Fact, <laughs> here's the thing: like, if you're a listener, if you're a regular listener, and you're aware of somebody, maybe on a, you know, maybe at the local level that we might not necessarily be quite as aware of. In fact, your partner Rob Krinky always has great suggestions yeah. uh, for local people that John and I sometimes are not as, you know, we're not quite as aware of of the the, the fights in local boards of supervisors, etc. But if anyone out there, you know, has a really has an idea that uh, that they want to share for someone who had a really crappy week, uh, send us an email. You know, we're we're right there. Uh, just go to the Capital Weekly website, find our contact, and send us an email. We'll keep you anonymous or not, or we'll give you credit, whichever you want. Uh, but uh, yeah, send an email or your cards and letters. We'll be happy to look at it. It'd be uh, good. Your thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yeah. 
Mike Madrid, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great. We could go on for another hour on this. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Tim Foster, thank you. Thanks, Sean. And, Love uh, you guys. Take care. This is John Howard saying we'll see you next time around. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.